0: Well, glory. Before we get into our message today, I just want to say a few words. You know, when anyone receives revelation from the Word of God, it sometimes conflicts with what he has previously learned. This causes you to have to deal with old traditions and wrong teaching. Now, these sessions may contain light from God's Word that may be new to you and may be opposed to some traditions you have previously been taught therefore we urge you to follow through this message with your Bible in order that you can make a choice for the Word of God rather than the traditions of men I want to speak to you today on the subject the realities of the cross the realities of the cross And first before we get into that I want to talk about what happened in the Garden of Eden see when Adam was created He had dominion over the earth. He was God's regent in the earth, God's under-ruler. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. And God blessed them and said unto them, verse 28, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion so Adam was God's under ruler in this earth but Adam committed high treason and gave his authority to Satan you see in Genesis 3 6 talking about Eve she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat now Adam was not deceived like Eve was He simply stood by and allowed this to happen. And we learn that from 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. God needed a legal entry back into the earth. Because when man was kicked out of the garden, God was on the outside looking in. The earth had been given to Satan. Genesis 17, 1 through 19, says this, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be the father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God and God said unto Abraham thou shalt keep my covenant therefore Thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or brought, bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people he hath broken my covenant and God said unto Abraham as for Sarai thy wife thou shalt not call her name Sarai but Sarah shall her name be and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her yea I will bless her and she shall be mother a mother of nations kings of people shall be of her then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And God said and Abraham, rather, said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. For an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So here we see that God finds a man who will obey him and establishes a covenant that is a legal contract between God and man. Now, we in our society don't understand a lot about covenant, but we're going to be talking about them in upcoming sessions because covenant is the center of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, Old Covenant. New covenant. That's why we call them that. Is built around the concept of covenant, which had a much more serious uh, meaning and intent than what we normally think of as a legal contract. Now, the plan of redemption hid a mystery. Through this covenant that we just talked about, through this covenant, God would bring Jesus Christ into the earth. We see in Ephesians. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. Satan didn't know who Jesus was until he was baptized in the river Jordan. He really had no clue up until that point. First Corinthians 2 says it this way in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But in the waters of baptism, God said, This is my beloved Son. And the fight was on. Matthew 4. 1-11 uh, through 11 discusses the temptation of Jesus. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So Jesus came as the second or last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15-45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul the last Adam was made a quickening or life giving spirit born of a virgin with the blood of God in his veins he was 100% man and 100% God Jesus had the same opportunity to fall as the first Adam but he passed every test Hebrews 2 14 through 18 says for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus operated as a prophet under the Abrahamic covenant. He went to the cross as the Son of God. And Jesus became sin for us. He was made to be sin. Now a lot of people have trouble with the idea. Jesus never committed sin. We must make that clear. Jesus did not sin. But he was made to be sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that's jesus he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him isaiah 53 says it this way verse 3 but he was or verse uh, 5 he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed And he made his grave, verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Now when you look that word death up in Hebrew, it's plural. It's plural. It says deaths, plural. And Jesus did not just die a physical death. There was much more involved. So we're going to talk for a minute about what happened on the cross. You'll remember from Matthew 27 46, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It appears that God turned his back on his own son, for he could not look upon sin. Now, David speaks of the crucifixion a thousand years before it took place. And I want you to pay attention to this passage. In Psalm 22, we're going to look at a lot of scripture here, so bear with me. Starting in verse 1 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and feet. I may tell all my bones, they look upon and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste to help me, deliver my soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Now we see here clearly David is crying out to God in a time where he feels lost and alone, persecuted, uh, cast down. He's depressed. He's fighting. Uh, mentally and physically, battles for his very life. But we also see in this passage a prophetic word about Jesus Himself. So go back over and read that whole uh, chapter. Now, also on the cross, Jesus' very body was deformed. Isaiah 52:14 says. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now, this was a horrible, horrible beating that he took. A cruel and unusual punishment. And many Bible scholars speculate that they even went farther with Jesus than they did the average crucifixion. Why? Because Satan knew who he was. He thought he could destroy him. And he was taking all of his wrath out on Jesus. And when Jesus cries, It is finished. That was the end of it. Not the plan of redemption, but the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was wrapped up and fulfilled at that moment of time. The veil of the temple was rent. Uh, you see this in Matthew 27:51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. There was an earthquake. There was uh, the temple veil was torn not from the bottom up, but from the top down. It was a very thick piece of material. Now. What did that signify? That signified that the physical temple in Jerusalem was no longer the dwelling place of God. The high priest finished his ministry when he offered up Jesus as the final sacrifice. John 2.19, Jesus promised though. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, the temple of his body, and in three days I will raise it up. But here's something very significant. And I don't think we fully comprehend the significance of this verse. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now, we're going to get into a controversial area here. I'm just going to touch on it briefly. This is a whole other message that we'll get into later. But Jesus went into the very bowels of hell, the very pit of hell. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus himself prophesies: for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, it's not talking about the grave. A lot of people make that mistake, and it's not talking about the grave. Because in Acts 2, verses 24-27 through and verse 31, it explains this in greater detail. Now Peter here is quoting the prophet David, King David. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Verse 31. Now, what is he quoting? He's quoting from Psalm 16, verse 10. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Now, David speaks again of Jesus in hell in Psalm 88, verse 6. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. See, it's not talking about the grave it's talking about the lowest pit in eternal darkness in the deeps now what happens during those three days we don't know entirely but if you read the eighty-eighth psalm it is a description of what happened before Jesus was raised Satan tormented Jesus for three days until God said that's enough let my son go At which point Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus took the keys of hell and death. He was justified in spirit and recreated in Satan's domain. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Now, justified means to be made righteous. Now, I want to emphasize this, Jesus never committed a sin. But if being made righteous is the definition of justification and he was justified in the spirit, how can you first be made righteous unless you were first unrighteous? Get the point? Now, 1 Peter 3:18 says for Christ hath also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened or made alive in the spirit Jesus is the firstborn from the dead Romans 8 29 let me back up Jesus is the firstborn from the dead we're gonna see that in scripture but several people several people had been resurrected and, and given new life by Jesus by Paul by Peter Jesus is the firstborn from the dead Romans 8:29, for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren we see this again in Colossians 1 verse 18 and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now again, several people had been raised from the dead prior to this point. Something was different about Jesus. This was a resurrection that was different. And Satan stripped, Jesus rather, stripped Satan of his authority. Colossians 2.15 and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus paralyzed Satan's death-dealing power. Revelations 1.18 says it this way, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He was raised a glorified, resurrected, immortal man, untouchable by death. All right? Now, Something I find interesting is Jesus sprinkled his blood on the heavenly utensils of worship. Man's penalty was paid and the demands of justice were met. But Hebrews 1, 5 through 8 has something very interesting here. Uh, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. God also highly exalts his Son. Philippians 2, 9-11 Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Now, what did Jesus do with this authority? Because I want you to stop and think for a minute. Jesus is God incarnate. The one true and living God, the Father incarnate. He doesn't need authority. He has authority. All authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. He didn't need authority for himself. He's God. So what was the point? Well, let's look at Matthew 28, verse 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus delegates this authority to the body of Christ for the purposes of overcoming the flesh, ministry, and evangelism. Mark 16, verse 15 through 18 says it this way, And he said unto them, that's the disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Ephesians 1 verse 22 says it this way, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Go back and read 17 through 23 of, first, of Ephesians 1, and you'll get a much clearer picture. But Jesus, having put off from himself the principalities and powers, it, you know, it, it almost seems as though the whole hosts of hell were upon him. He was going through agonies beyond words and suddenly is justified and made alive. He hurls back the hosts of darkness and paralyzes their death-dealing power. And once again, man is in a position of authority. He is no longer a slave to Satan, but has become his master through the power of the name of Jesus. That's all for today, but we're going to look at this in greater detail in the coming weeks and months. Uh, We're gradually going to build a foundation from which you, as a believer, can walk in authority over the devil through the power of the name of Jesus. We're going to learn about that power. We're going to learn more about uh, Jesus and what he truly accomplished on the cross. For now, I hope you have a great week. I wish you Godspeed in all your endeavors. And in the mighty name of Jesus, be blessed.